1: Louis, let's start off with uh, with some sad news that occurred last week, the passing of Bob Negley Jr. at the age of uh, 78, of course, the first man to own the Wild. Just take us back through your relationship with Bob and also the importance that he played in returning the National Hockey League to the state after the absence and the North Stars departed in 1993. And, of course, the Wild came here in uh, 2000.
0: Well, I've known uh, Bob Negley since I first came here back in uh I probably met Bob the first time in 1960, so I've known him a long time, I've known the family a long time, I know his brother, I know Billy really well, and I used to know his dad, who started the the advertising business, the Niggly Signs, that's where uh, they were involved before uh, his dad passed away, and then Bob started getting involved with Lord Fletcher's and and then other businesses like rollerblades. <clears throat> but he's he's been a, a, a person that loved hockey all his life, played hockey all his life, played in high school, played in college, uh, followed the game, followed the North Stars, a very, very big fan of hockey. And he undoubtedly was the main reason why hockey returned to the uh, Twin City area because uh, when they needed expansion, and Norm Coleman uh, got Jack Sperling to help him, they got the franchise set up, but they needed somebody, obviously, to take the lead financially. Sure. And uh, as I said, Bob had his toe in, then he had his foot in, then he had his leg in, and pretty (laughs) soon he had his whole body in because uh, he just kept taking more and more of the ownership because they needed uh, one uh, lead owner, and that became Bob.
1: Lou, how close did, did this um, state come to get, getting franchises between 93 and 2000, just as far as I seem to recall there was talk of the Oilers, and I want to say the Jets, and, and even Hartford. How close did we come to actually getting a franchise that, that would have moved as opposed to the expansion franchise in 2000?
0: Well, the, they didn't get close to the Oilers at all. They did get uh, close. There was an opportunity, it seemed, for a while to get the Jets. Then that blew up, and that uh, the Jets and would have moved to the Target uh, Center. But the, the deal that uh, the fellow that owned the Jets at the time was going to get from the Target Center wasn't very good, mm-hmm. especially when you look at the suite and the advertising. You know his cut of it. So that's why the team uh, basically ended up in uh, Phoenix at the time.
1: When did you become uh, completely confident that that we would get a team back? What was the first thing that you saw that said this is definitely going to work?
0: Well, Norm Coleman, uh, he was the driving force. Uh, he cannot get enough credit for what he's done uh, to get hockey back to Minnesota. And, and uh, he went to meet with the league, and, and he, he got them interested. He got Jack Sperling to start getting an ownership group together. So he and Jack uh, really started doing a lot of work, and he invited the the people from the NHL to come in and see the St. Paul Civic Center at the time. Yes. And I'm sure you remember that with the glass boards, et cetera. And, and uh, they invited me as well. So I went over. I was over there with the group. And after they toured the building and Gary Bettman was there and a number of the owners, two of which are, were very good friends of mine, one Bill Wirtz and one Mike Yelich. And so uh, at the time, people were mingling around talking. And I'm talking to Wirtz and Illich, and I said, well, what do you think? You guys uh, think you can come here and move the uh, franchise here? And, and I'll never forget Bill Wirtz I said, Louie, you can't fix up that Civic Center. It's like putting earrings on the pig. There's no way we're coming back to that. And I said, well, what do you need? He said, we're going to need a new building. So I said, just a minute. So I walked over, and I grabbed Norm Coleman, and I said, Norm, I just want to tell you something. Wurtz and Illich just said, they're not going to vote for it unless you get a new building. He said, okay, I'll be right there. He came right over, and he says, what do you guys need? And they said, well, you got to have a new building. Okay. Norm says, okay, you'll get a new building. It was just like that. He, he He just committed a new building. You'll get a new building. We'll get it for you.
1: So Lou, what what made Norm so confident? Because there there was a time, unlike today, when getting a new uh, arena or stadium here was extremely difficult. What what made him so emboldened or confident that, that he could that he could become the first guy to get you know something built in this town when the Twins and Vikings and teams like that at that time were absolutely failing on that.
0: Well, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of Norm Coleman, so I unabashedly uh, cannot say enough good things about this guy when he was mayor, the things he did in the city of St. Paul to get workers' uh, jobs uh, to do things. He's a driving force that just doesn't know the word no, and he just was confident that he was going to be able to go around, and he basically had Jack there working with Nagley, and he had a bunch of other people, because I went to speak to the group when they were trying to get investors, and I'll tell you about that, but Mm -hmm. he he felt he had investors, and he felt that he had a good relationship with the legislature, and I think it was Arnie Carlson. Then Arnie was another—you know—he was governor, another big mover that helped get uh, some money from the state. And he, uh, this guy, when Norm Coleman says he's going to do something, you just got to believe it's going to get done. And and he felt very strongly that he could put the deal together. And if that's what it took, that's what he was going to get done. And obviously, he got it done.
1: So, f- full disclosure: How close did you come when when the, the expansion team was awarded here? How close d- did you come to being involved in a in a capacity with that franchise, Louis?
0: None. I had no interest in at all. I didn't talk to him about anything. I, I, you know, I, I, I came very close to Jack Sperling, and I and I told him if there's any way, shape, or form that I could help, like uh, questions he want to bounce off, uh, he wants to bounce off me, or, or. Like I, he asked me to go and speak to the investors because they didn't have enough investors one time, and and so I went to St. Paul and and we met and had lunch and and I got up to speak and and the big question was why is it going to work in St. Paul when at the end when the North Stars left their crowds were down and, and I'll never forget what I said I said well first of all. You got to look why the crowds were down. Yes, they were building the Mall of America, and you couldn't get in or out of the building. And you had the, the Timberwolves just came, so they were a new team, a new shiny, glittery, glittery uh, new item in town. And and our team wasn't very good on top of it that last uh, year. So you put them all together, your crowd's going to be down. And then and then it continued because you couldn't get in and out of there. It took a few years to build that. They were spending sixty-five million or more just putting. Uh, a new road in there to get in, so it was a disaster getting in and out of there. I recall. Yeah. I said, but if you remember, I said, Minneapolis-St. Paul is a tremendous, tremendous hockey area, which, you know, has gone back for years and years, and the state is a big hockey area. And I said, the one thing I've noticed, being from Canada and being here a long time, for some reason, the Minneapolis people have no qualms about going over to St. Paul but St. Paul's like the little brother that sometimes the guys don't want to come to Minneapolis. I said, so if you build it in St. Paul, like they're talking about here, you're going to still have the Minneapolis people coming over, but you're going to have a much greater participation from St. Paul that we never got with the North. I can tell you we never had greater than 12% season ticket ownership in St. Paul. Really? Yeah. And I said, and if you look at the two facets at that time, I said, you look at the two fastest growing communities in the Twin Cities, it's Woodbury and Egan. They're big, they're affluent, and they're young kids, and so they are interested in athletics. So I said, there's no doubt you're going to get a, a, a huge, huge increase in St. Paul season ticket holders. Plus, you got 3M in St. Paul, you got Ecolab in St. Paul, you got American Voice, and and you had a number of St. Paul entities that really didn't take a big part in the uh, advertising or, or deals with, with with the with the North Stars. But, you know, because it's their town there, I, I would anticipate that they'd take a bigger piece. So I, I just felt that the, the following in St. Paul was going to surprise a lot of people because we were going to have a lot of St. Paul people that were going to come to the games that didn't come to the games over at the Met Center.
1: So stars, uh, stars season ticket base was what? Edina, western uh, suburbs mainly at that time.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, it was western plus the corporate downtown. Sure, you know, the Twin City corporates and the western suburbs.
1: So tough question here, but but knowing how this has played out now, and and that the when you guys were going to leave the Met, th- that you talked about going downtown yourself, in retrospect would you have preferred that the North Stars are still here but playing at Target center in downtown Minneapolis or, or you know, we've got the X now and a, a new team. So in retrospect now, which one would you take?
0: I'd take the XL at any day of the week.
1: Yeah, so what I figured. Okay.
0: For, for a number of reasons. First of all, it's a newer stadium. It's, it's much better. Secondly, I think it, it's really nice to have St. Paul with, with their team. Even though it's part of the Twin Cities, I, I like the fact that they have a centerpiece there. Third, I think that... Well, I, I just don't like sharing buildings. So they they would have to share the building with the Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. And so then it makes it tougher, tougher on dates, tougher on, on uh, resources. And you, you have... The only benefit you get is you could have one marketing group doing both. But outside of that... Every advantage known to man goes to having your own stadium.
1: Yeah, that that's true. And plus, in in r- retrospect, Target is it's an okay place, but it, as far as a hockey building goes, it can't even touch. Lyrics. No, it's not even not, You're right. Did, it's a basketball. It's a
0: from there. Yeah, it's a basketball. Uh, you know, building. for a number of years, and it, it just doesn't. It, it wasn't. It wasn't built for hockey. The sight lines are nowhere near what the Met Center or the XL Center is.
1: If you guys could have gotten the the improvements and upgrades to the Met that you sought at that time, would, would that building still be standing in 2018? Do you think?
0: No, no, they would have had to do something because even with the improvement, yeah. you have to remember we were just under fifteen thousand, fourteen nine nine or something with with seats. So we had twenty suites. So you figure there, you can have, now you got another four hundred people. So now you're fifteen three or four, and then. We wanted to add 47 more suites. Well, even with adding 47 more suites, at, you know, just under 1,000 people, you're still at 16. That's not going to pay the bills.
1: Yeah, true, true. Wild, what what are we to make of a team that uh, what, won 10 of 12 before they lost to the Capitals a couple nights ago, uh, took 5 of 7, so 10 of 14 potential points on the road. This team, I give them credit, Louis, uh, up until – the Caps game and, and the Caps are obviously defending Stanley Cup champions and very good. But up until that point, this team has looked damn good. I give them credit.
0: Well, they really have, and they played uh, the way they have to play. They're they're playing with motion. They're 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 capitalizing. They were up until the Capitals game because they did miss some nice opportunities. But they're capitalizing on their opportunities. And the main thing is they're shutting down the opposition from getting good quality opportunities or follow up chances. And they've really been a big uh, asset to the goaltender the way the defense and forward they're playing. So uh, I think Boudreaux, I, I love him as a coach anyway. You just got to look at his record and you see how good he is. But I think he's doing as good a job as he's ever done with this team.
1: Defense looks, looks good too, right?
0: Well, look at the, their I mean, point production. They're I know. What are they, number two in points produced by defensemen in the league? Maybe Nashville being the only team above them? They're, they're yep. just, you know, it's surprising is how well the third pair, pairing is playing. You, you have mm-hmm. no qualms about putting them up against anybody. And so here you got a good shutdown third pair, and the first four that you got are very productive. They can generate offense, and, and they really move the puck extremely well. So it's a nice compliment that they have back there in the blue line.
1: Dumba makes mistakes occasionally, Louie, but I'm, I'm a big fan. I've yeah, always said that. To be. I mean, he you know a that he
0: can generate offense, and you never know when or how it's going to come. But you, you're on the edge of your seat when he gets a hold of the puck because he's capable of doing something that makes things happen. And boy, nobody shoots the puck harder than him. No. Uh, he when he slaps that puck, he's got a rocket, and the goaltender's really got to be on his toes to get it.
1: Hey, ideally, how how much should Stalock play? Do you do you think? Cause dubnik has been great, but if you were, if if it was up to you to parcel out playing time, how, how much should Alex play? I'd, I'd say uh,
0: twenty-five to thirty-two games.
1: Okay, he's been playing very well. I'd have no qualms about putting him in the
0: net, and so that'd give Dubnik a bigger rest and and keep him sharper. and And, and you you want to make certain that they're both playing and getting opportunities because uh, you never know if an injury bug's going to hit you somewhere, and if it ever hits. Dubnik, and Alex is going to have to play a lot. so he, He's he got to be sharp. And if you look just at the Rangers, uh, Lundquist, uh, Lundquist is playing quite a bit. So mm-hmm. yesterday they sent down Gorgiev just for a game to play in Hartford and got him right back for tonight. So uh, you, you've got to keep that second guy sharp a bit. You don't want to just throw him in. He's been, been out of the lineup for eight, ten days. has been two weeks and then put him in there because uh, that's really not being fair to him.
1: Biggest surprise in a good way in the National Hockey League to you so far this season, Lou and Annie?
0: Vancouver Canucks, even though they've lost the last couple of games, and you have to remember they got a number of big injuries led by Besser being out for the last couple of weeks. And to see what they've done thus far without Besser is just it's very, very surprising. I I would have thought that if you put all the teams together when you started the season – the one thing that you would have no reservations about putting out of the playoffs would have been Vancouver. Right now, mm-hmm. if Besser can get healthy in a way that Peterson's easily the best rookie in the league, the way, the way they're playing, uh, they're capable of of, of doing it.
1: What do you think allows a kid like like um, the Canucks have to to step in and be immediately successful? Because I mean, this is a this is a tough league to play in, and Patterson has stepped in and he looks like he's been there for three years already.
0: Well, last year at eighteen years old, he played in the senior league in Sweden and was the most valuable player. So, okay, I guess that tells you something because he's playing against men at eighteen and still the most valuable. So, this kid is uniquely gifted. Uh, <laughs> He looks like a string bean because he's not that heavy. He's tall and lanky, but his per- peripheral vision, his ability to handle the puck, his ability to get it off quickly and accurately, uh, he-, he does so many things well. He's a pleasure to watch. I've, I've seen him play three games now. And I- I- I'm telling you, it's just amazing when you think that he's 19 years old what level this can—this
1: kid can reach. It's- he's just unbelievable. And you- to your point, though, he's so he's so thin, and, yeah. and you see him and think, my God, he's going to get checked by a grown man and get hurt, and he is, he does, and he's fine. So well, that's what's well, impressive to me. Well,
0: Matheson threw him down from the Panthers, threw him down behind, and I was watching that game, and uh, he checked him behind, the net, and I literally lifted him up and threw him down, he hit his head, and so he missed, I don't know, he must have missed four, five, six games yes. with a concussion, and uh, you wouldn't be able to do that to a guy that easily if he wasn't that light. But uh, he's he's bounced back and boys, he fun to watch. He is he's dangerous every time he has the puck.
1: Speaking of checks and hits and and potentially dirty play, answer me this: Why is the guy like like Wilson of the Capitals always around that stuff? I mean, he gets his suspension reduced, what, from twenty to fourteen games? Comes back. It in the X here in the Caps win a couple nights ago, and I know I know, Suter pushed him into doom Nick, so I know that that didn't look intentional, but it always seems like guys like that are around plays w- where you scratch your head a little bit about it.
0: Well, uh, I guess I'm different than the reporters. First of all, I didn't think he wanted a 20 games. I didn't think that you know, the guy plays the game with an edge, and he's very physical, and he certainly didn't uh, do anything. Uh, you know, I, I thought that was a joke that he even got a penalty on Dubnik, really. I mean, Suter pushed him in. This, the way they're protecting goalies right now, to me, is they've gone overboard. Uh-huh. It's way too much. I mean, this is a joke. They can't, it's like you can't go. Loose. You go by him and you get a penalty if you just whistle at him while you go skating by. I mean, you know, this is a contact sport. And if the goalie comes out of that crease or the top of the crease, there might be some contact. And, and trust me, they got more equipment on anybody else. So I don't I, – I, 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 goalies will hate what I say, but I, I think they're pampered right now the way they're protected. And that. I think it's far too much. And I think it's too much that – that they you know, they take on, on Wilson. Some of these things collisions happen and you can't react. You're going to hit somebody, he drops his head and he hits you you know, the head goes on the shoulder. You didn't know his head was going to be there and you're going at a high speed. <laughs> you know, you could slow down and and say, Oh look at he hit his head. Yeah. Get on the ice and go at that speed and react and see if you you're able to eliminate that. You can't. So i you know, I'm a I'm a Wilson fan because Way he plays. i don't like when he, he does you know things that are unruly and, and 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 definitely uh you know on purpose but i think he's been He's been hit a few penalties that he really didn't deserve.
1: It seems a bit cheap at times. Not not that yeah hit it is Doomnick that that one he, he got pushed in. It just it seems it seems a bit like you know what you didn't need to throw out the elbow or the uh, or the um, leg at times. That's my yeah. observation. Yeah, no, I agree
0: with. You. I said he does some cheap things yeah. and then penalize him and suspend him for that. But a couple of these others that he got, uh, I think, were just totally uh, unwarranted.
1: But Lou, you you know as well as I do that every time you you whistle or look at Dubnyk, he goes and talks to the referee immediately.
0: Yeah, well, I mean he—he's he, not the only one. A lot of goalies are ooh. like that today. That's that's why I said I'm just—I think they're i think they're way off base. I think they're, I I think, and I always said this. If they want to come out and play the puck outside that crease, they should be fair game. You should be able to knock them down, do whatever you want. They're supposed to be, right? Yeah, that's I mean, that's the way rule. the game we used to be played. That's yeah. the way it is. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go out and you know, you know, and, and stick handle the puck and, and try and do things, you know, that, like once Glenn Hall came out of the net and he stick handled the puck all the way to the red line, which uh, I don't think you can do over the blue line anymore. <laughs> And and made a play, and we were going back in St. Louis exact one week later. Yeah. And before the game, everybody's talking about, well, you know, watch uh, watch Baronson. he's got a great backhand. Watch, uh, uh, you know, Unger or whoever it was. And then Walter McKinley says, watch Glenn Hall, he's got a great move to his left.
1: Oh. So wait, so you're telling me that Glenn Hall brought the puck out to the red line?
0: To the red line. <laughs> the red line what
1: what did his and coach shot his, it in his coach must have completely lost it
0: yeah well in that that day and you, age? you wouldn't lose with Glenn hall he was among the best of all time he played over five hundred straight games with, you know without a mask so
1: that is you know what that that is and I, I get that uh, curve sticks weren't the trend that, at that point all the time but it is unbelievable when you go back and watch the old clips and see those guys with no masks yeah it, it's <laughs> it bo- of, of all the things in sports you know, how, how f- football has changed and, and equipment has changed. I think the goalie without the mask might be the most mind-boggling thing to go back and and actually see that guys did that.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and, and Gump we had the best line. I forget where we were, New York or somewhere, and uh, some fan came up. And he said, hey, Gump, do you ever wear a mask? And Gump looked at him and he says, do you think I'd look like this if I wore a mask? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Poor Gumper. Well, he now, now he he was he was one of the last, if not not the last goaltender to not wear a mask. And curve sticks by that point were completely the trend. Correct.
0: Well, yeah, you're right. That's why we uh, oh. never played against Chicago late in his career. Whenever we'd play, we'd get a mystery illness at noon. Uh, but he. Uh he he wasn't the exact last guy. There was some other guy who wore it for five or six games from Pittsburgh, and I, the name slips my well, mind. But Gary Smith from the regular goaltenders, yeah. the regular goal, the, the you know the number one goaltender. He was the last, and he had, and he quit at forty five. He tried it for about five games himself, and he just couldn't wear it. He's now nah, to hell with it.
1: So when when you saw him th- throughout the, the years as his teammate get hit by pucks in, in the face, how many times did you think, my God, I think that shot might have killed him?
0: Well, I got to tell you one thing. Uh, I never saw him get one in the face. Really? No, he was really good. Uh, I mean, uh, my teammates and me took a lot more in the face than he did. <laughs> he was, he was good. But he, the one he got that really shook him up. I mean, he had the number of them before he came to us. That's why you know, uh, that's just the way it was. He played for so long, but he was playing with the Canadians. And Bobby Hall came down and took a slap shot. And the third day, like you said. No restriction on the curve stick. Bobby all had a two-and-a-half-inch curve. And when he shoot the puck, it played games. You know, it rise or sink. You didn't know where it was going. Yep. I remember I felt a blocker shot once, and it came, and I got it right at the top of my shoulder pad, almost in the throat. I said, it's the last time I'm ever going to block a shot on him because he was pretty close and still got up like on an elevator that fast. Ooh. Well, here, Gums coming, you know, in the net. Bobby's coming left wing. And and he goes to shoot the puck and he, and he shoots it and as I said the puck played tricks, it caught Gump on the temple flush sideways so it was flat. Oh, had it hit him regular, it would have killed him. Oh my God! And and I mean obviously put him out of the game and everything else. But thank God it was flat or Gump would have never been able to play for the North Stars. He was with the Canadians and he wouldn't have played it anymore. Yeah. And and so. <laughs> When we play, then he came to us shortly after that. And when we play Chicago, and at noon hour, we'd be in the locker room, and the coach would give the lineup and says, okay, Gump, you're in tonight. And Cesar Moniago and I rode together every game. And uh, and so we'd drive home, and i pick him up. back up at 5.30 for the, it was an 8 o'clock game, and pick him up, we're going to the game. And, and they'd get there, and Gump was sick. He had the flu or something, so Cesar had to go in. And this happened maybe five, six, seven times. <laughs> Caesar says to me, "Geez, grapes, I can't believe it. Why does he do that? I said, "Caesar, he almost got killed." I said, "He's not going to play against Hall. He's the best goalie there is around." But I'm telling you, when they say Gump at noon, you should be hearing Caesar at noon because you're going in that <laughs> night. That's just the way it is, and it's just the way it was.
1: I sort of can't blame him at this point, Lou. No, I couldn't blame him either. Are you kidding? Oh I mean, my
0: gosh. And Caesar had a mask then, and, and Gump still didn't have the mask.
1: Your uh, you're blocking shots point it is a great point, though, now, because guys are so protected, they're fearless. They're absolutely, and, and in your day, I'm sure you thought to yourself, hell no, it's not worth it. I, I can block the shot, but as you just went through, it might kill me where guys now drop in front of shots constantly.
0: Well, I mean, we always dropped in front of shots, even then. We had no masks or no helmets or anything else, and so many times I, you know, I saw Barry Ashby break his jaw, Keith Magnuson break his jaw, Barry Gibbs break his jaw. You know, that was that that wasn't an uncommon thing. It happened a lot. Yep. And they didn't quit blocking shots, by the way. After that,
1: what's the most uh, single stitches that you took during your career in a game from taking a puck?
0: Do you recall? Oh, I think you know. I I, I think it was twelve because you never got like I I quit counting. I had over three hundred stitches in the face, but I I think it was twelve because when you remember it 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 hits you. Yeah. But the surface that hits you is maybe about two inches, so it it you know busts you open, but not not wide. It's just it's it's there and it's deep and it and it hurts.
1: <laughs> how how do you look so good, Lou? For that that many stitches throughout a career is my question. Then,
0: well, I got a, two things. One, we had a great stitch artist, and one of which you could talk to Dogger, Dr. Dr. Nagambar is still living today. He's ninety-seven, and he put so many stitches in me; it was incredible. And the guy was like a plastic surgeon. And like when we went to <laughs> St. Louis, we the guy there it seems like he was drunk. The doctor, we wouldn't get stitches there. We'd wait. We'd, we'd come home the next day and get stitched up. But not only I had. Doctors did a good job. I used to use cocoa butter on it. And so after I had a, a, a stitch and, and, you know, it came come out a week later, then every day, a few times a day, I'd rub cocoa butter on, which really heals and helps heal the skin.
1: Well, that's very smart, actually, then.
0: Okay. yeah, Somebody told me about it. it, it really worked well. Excellent.
1: Last thing uh, on the flip side of uh, of most surprising thing to you in the league so far, in a pleasant way, what's the most disappointing team and, and or thing so far to you as we approach uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, Lou Nanny?
0: Well, a disappointing one, as I said, is uh, no. I mean, the, the surprising one is Vancouver yep. dude, in, in in their play, and I guess the disappointing one would. To me, would be St. Louis. I thought that they were just going to be gangbusters, and they're fighting a goaltender problem, and they're at the bottom of the division. I, I, I like St. Louis's team. I think they got the, some great parts in that team, but boy, oh, boy, they are definitely not playing anywhere close to what they were going to thought to have been.
1: How do you allow yourself, when, when you do all, all the off-season work that the Blues did, how do you allow yourself to go into a year w- with the goaltending question? Because the the Allen conundrum here is not new. I don't get that one. Like, if you're going to do all this work, to, don't you absolutely positively try and make sure you give yourself the best chance at goaltender, Louis?
0: Well, first of all, you know, Allen's had some good times, especially against the North Stars. I mean, the Wild in the playhouse when he put us out. But, uh one thing we got to remember: everybody in the summer wins the Stanley Cup. For some reason, I don't know why it happens. From June till September, everybody got so much better, and they're all good teams. And and everybody thinks they they got a great club, and and they overestimate their players, like I did and everybody else does. Yep. And then reality sets in, and sometimes it's too late by the time reality sets in. And on top of that, you know, I personally think the toughest guy it is to deal for is a goaltender. You know, you just, yeah, I, can see that, yeah. I don't know. I just, you don't know. The guy, and I've seen it happen with so many. One year, they're good, and next year, they're not good. And then they might come back and be good again. You just don't know who, what, or how much to pay or for how long. Unless he's a bona fide guy that's, I mean, look at Dubnik. He's been in three different teams before he got here.
1: I know. And and what, cost him a third-round draft pick or something like yeah. that? They didn't pay much to no. get him from the Coyotes for that, that no. year, for sure. Although I give you credit there, Louie, you did pretty well. I don't recall you going into a season with with huge goaltender question marks back in the day. Well, we're, Moulash, we were lucky goal We had Prairie, good ones. So it, Edwards. No, but you know, I'm just saying that you you did you didn't you didn't, you didn't uh, retool the roster and then in goal just hoped it, it felt like you continually went into seasons with pretty strong goaltending.
0: Yeah, we we thought that for the most part we we. Uh... We liked our goaltender. The only time I had to deal one after after Melosh, uh wanted a lot of money and we traded him, and I had to make a deal for Melanson,
1: mm-hmm.
0: who uh, was a good goalie, but he wasn't he wasn't as good as Melosh was. And uh, you know, we wish. And and you know, we were lucky. Beaupre came in as an eighteen year old, started off real good, went down the second year, and then right back up after that, he was really good. And then we had. Uh, 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 Kid from up north uh, in Grand Rapids, John Casey, and kid John, Casey John Casey, is and, good, yeah. And you know, so with Melosh and Edwards and Bopre and and uh, Casey, uh, we had we had a good run of goaltending. You know, we were we were very lucky.
1: So so Jill, in in uh, retrospect, going back there, tried to to uh, break the bank. Basically, I didn't know that. I didn't know well, that he went for more money. Actually,
0: I never told the story, but it was one of those uh, Vince Lombardi ones where you remember somebody went in and wanted, and I didn't know that story at the time, where he wanted so much money, and Vince, I'll be right back, and came back He said, I can't negotiate with you, know, you're owned by Washington. <laughs> well, well uh, it was close to that, uh, and, and you know, Jones was worth money, but I, you know, it was just too much, and this agent's a friend of mine, still a friend of mine, Mike Adams, and he was a good man, and and they want a lot of money, so, uh, so I'll talk to you tomorrow, and next day I, I traded him
1: to, to whom?
0: Pittsburgh? I traded them to Edmonton. Edmonton. Edmonton it was okay. a three-way deal,
1: and Edmonton traded him to Pittsburgh. That's what it was. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, sir. Thank you. Talk next week.